Samuel chapter 15. Would you do that? We'll change mics here. First Samuel chapter 15. And uh, we're going to go back and revisit First Samuel. We took a break in the fall, back in September, I believe it was, as I looked at my notes. And uh, we left off on a message uh, called Obedience is Better. And uh, Saul, it's, the, it's the, uh, the first king in Israel. And we started talking about his life. And I want to pick it up where we left off because I think there's just some amazing truths in the book of First Samuel. And, uh, you know, the Bible is written twofold. One, uh, well, several fold, to be honest. One, it reveals who the living God is. You need to understand that it is God's revelation to man. God's revealed himself in a variety of ways. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that he's revealed himself in, in creation. But we can only understand so much about God through his creation. And so God, uh, through the authorship, through the authorship of the Holy Spirit, but through the utensil of mankind, wrote the Bible to reveal to man what could not be understood through the creation of God, about God. So that's one thing. A lot of people would just say, well, the Bible's just, you know, it's a book just of do's and don'ts. And that is absolutely true. Let's just think about that. It's full of a lot of things that should be done. And it's also full of a lot of things that shouldn't be done. And to be honest, it's probably the greatest blessing that God ever gave us so that we would know what should and shouldn't be done. Um, if, if God tells parents to raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord or train them up in the way that they should go, then God's the best dad ever because he's the one that showed us the way we should go. And, uh, and in, in, in looking at back at 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to begin in verse 10. Um, I've entitled this, now we know that obedience is better. And we know that Saul didn't obey, and we're going to read that portion. But I've entitled this message, After Disobedience. Okay? So, what to do and what not to do after disobedience is really what we learn. And we pick it up here in First Samuel chapter 15, and I want you to notice in verse 10. Um, the Bible says, Then came the word of the Lord under Samuel, he's the prophet of God, saying, It repenteth me that I've set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me. And hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. Why? Because it grieved God. And he cried unto the Lord all night long. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. It was told Samuel saying. Saul came to Carmel. And behold he set him up a place. And has gone about and passed on. And gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said unto him. Blessed be thou the Lord. I have, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel said, what meaneth, this, what meaneth this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Verse 15. And Saul said, they brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now look up here. The reason that's important is because God said, destroy them all. I don't want anything that breathes to come out of the Amalekites. Someone reading that today in the 21st century in the, the society that we live in will say, well, why was God, why does that, why, isn't that genocide? Um, how could that happen? Well, first of all, if you read uh, and you think about God outside of who he is, you'll never understand. Okay? Because God is just, but he is not just just. He is wholly just, which means that his justice is never served wrongly. And that's where we need to remember that God is good all the time. So he was holy and good and just. The reason that he's going to destroy the Malachites is because of what the Amalekites did to his people when they came out of Egypt. And so God says, okay, I'm going to put a marker right there and I'll remember that. 
And when things get to where they need to be, I'm going to make sure that you're wiped off the face face of the earth. Now, by the way, only God can do that, right? And so he said, this is what I want you to do. Well, Saul said, um, essentially, no. And now we're reading the unfolding of that, all right? In verse 16, then Samuel said unto Saul, stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. On your notes, does it say how far I'm supposed to read? On the top. How far do you have it back there, Brother Gridley? It skips though, right? It shouldn't be in succession because we'll be here all night. Does it break somewhere in there? I just want to know where I'm at. I didn't write it down. Okay, let's go. Everybody get on board. Verse 16, then Samuel said unto Saul, stay and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said. Read that, verse 17. And Saul said, uh, Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight. Wow, what a statement. Was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? But didst notice the statement, Fly upon the spoil, all right? And didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Am- Amalekites. Now, it, he's, he's in denial. He's making an oxymoronic statement. I've destroyed the Amalekites and I've brought King Agag. Is that, is that what was told? No. So he's saying, I've obeyed the Lord. I've killed them all and I've done this. It should say, but I've done this. Okay. Now notice. Uh, verse 21, but the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen. It's the second time he said this, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. And then notice the spin, he changes it to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Here it is. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now I want you to notice very carefully when you read here that the, uh, the vernacular of Saul changes and you'll see that his statements and his disposition changed just slightly. In verse 24, and Saul said unto Samuel, I've sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. Wait a minute, it just said a few verses ago that he obeyed, right? I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words. And now notice, notice how close he is to true repentance because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Can I ask you a question? Can Samuel forgive his sins? Why is he asking Samuel to forgive his sins? There's only one person that can forgive sins. That's God only, right? Um, Verse... Uh, 26, and Samuel said unto Saul, I will return with thee, uh, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, um, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. He grabbed a hold of Samuel, and Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of, uh, of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also, and this is a great statement about the unchangeableness of God, verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned. And then notice this, yet honor me now, 
So first he says, I've sinned, but this is what I want you to do. Now he's saying, I've sinned, and this is what I want you to do for me. Notice what it says. It says, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the people, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you'd please bless your word. Lord, help me to get out of your way and not to discount what the most important thing is said, and that is what you have already said. God, help us to see not just the importance of obedience, but Lord, in the event that we decide to go our own way, as the song is already sung, we are so prone to wander. Lord, we feel it every day pull at us. When we do wander, when we do decide to get out of the way of righteousness, when we do, do decide to disobey our God, I pray that you'd help us to see what to do, not just before, but after our disobedience. And I pray that you'll be glorified. Please fill me with your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone said it's a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibilities of not doing it at all. When we learned about Saul's disobedience last September and then again this morning, I believe we can learn some valuable lessons about what happens after disobedience. What does it look like when a believer sins against God? Well, it looks like Saul in a lot of ways. What happened to Saul? Well, the Bible tells us that in verse 12 that he set him up a place. Um, That means that he built a monument to himself. In other words, he disobeyed God and to make him feel good about it, or at least to distract him, uh, distract what was going on, he built a monument so the people would honor him. He decided to go and build a monument. He's trying to make himself feel better about his decision uh, to disobey God. Monuments are built so that others will think well of a person. Uh, Saul didn't want people to think, well, wait, didn't God say this? Instead, he tried to make himself feel better, and he wanted other people to feel better about himself. By the way, when you're living in disobedience, you try to do everything you possibly can to make sure that other people don't know it. You try to make sure that everybody else thinks well of you, though you know that God doesn't feel very well about your decision. And so we see he builds a monument to himself. Then the Bible says that he went down to Gilgal, and the idea there is as if there's nothing wrong. You know, if you study the Bible, that Gilgal is the place that after Joshua went across the Jordan, that they built a monument there. They put stones there to remind them of what God had said. This is what you're going to do. When you set your toes on the edge of that, the water's going to stand up. You're going to go through on dry ground. And I I don't want you to forget this place or this day. And I want you to build a monument there, a memorial, the Bible says, a sign unto thee to remember. The, The word Gilgal means a rolling away there All of the children of Israel, who had, by the way, not been circumcised, were circumcised, and it it had a uh, it was the identifying mark of them not living the old life again. Now we're on this side of the Jordan, you could say. Now we're going to go forward. Well, that was the place that Saul went to go back. He went back to Gilgal. It was a resting place, and he decided to go there. Well, what's the problem with that? He's pretending like nothing happened. He builds a monument to himself. And then he just goes down to Gilgal as if there's nothing wrong at all. There's nothing wrong between me and my God. What I've done, I've done. And he'll understand he's a forgiving God. Then he decides to spiritualize what he's done. In verse 13, the Bible tells us in in, in, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Notice, it says, And Samuel said to Saul, Blessed be the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. What's he doing? He's boasting. He's bragging about it as if Samuel doesn't know God's already told him what he's going down there for and Saul is trying to make sure that the the narrative stays in his favor 
Hey, I just want you to know, Samuel, peace be unto you. Blessings be unto the Lord. I've obeyed. Right? That's the narrative. What's he trying to do? Make sure that Samuel's thinking along the right way, uh, the right way about me. Um, it tells us that he boasted about obeying the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Um, that he boasted that his disobedience was actually obedience. Do you get that? I've obeyed the commandment of the Lord. And yet we know in his other verses here in a minute that it's finally going to come out that which God is already working in. He's trying to control the narrative. Well, as we go down a little farther in the text, we see more details. When people are forced to confront their sin, they have a tendency to blame other people and justify their actions. Verse 15, the Bible says, they have brought, notice that, highlight that verse, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. It was the people. Notice down, if you will, down in verse 19. Wherefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil. God knows what you've done. Verse 20. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I brought Agag. Verse 21. But the people took the spoil. So now, not only is he trying to control the narrative, he's trying to justify his actions. The reason that you're hearing the bleeding of the sheep, which is the of all, the reason that you're hearing all this is because of the people. Well, wait a minute. If I was Samuel, I would have loved him in Samuel. And maybe he did do this. Maybe it's not written. I don't know. But I would have been like, wait, wait a minute. Didn't you just say this a minute ago? And now you're saying this. You know, you know what that tells me? People, when they're trying to justify their actions, are not really listening to what they're saying anyway. Because they're not saying the truth. Saul is struggling right now. And he's doing his best to not drown in conviction. He's kicking and kicking and trying to go up and trying to go up. And so Samuel's just standing there. I'll wait. You're going to drown eventually, but I'll wait. God's got eternity, right? He's just waiting. When people are forced to confront that, they blame others. Blame others. By the way, Proverbs 30, 20, uh, verse 12 tells us this. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Um, Saul was telling pretty much a bold-faced lie in verses 15 and 16. No, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. No, you haven't. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm asking you these questions he claimed that the best of the animals had been spared. Listen, now he's going to put a spiritual spin on it so that they could be sacrificed to the Lord. You see that? Isn't it interesting what happens after disobedience? And as you keep reading, more of Saul's heart is revealed as Samuel keeps repeating God's word over and over and over again. The root of Saul's sin is finally revealed. Look at verse 19. It says, but didst fly upon the what? Spoil. That's interesting. It tells us about his covetousness. You remember when, um, remember when the children of Israel went across the Jordan and they went into Jericho. And God said, everything in Jericho belongs to me. Everything. Nobody take anything. It is all hollowed. It belongs to me. And then there was a guy. Anybody remember his name? Who? Who? Achan. Nobody should name their dog Achan. Okay. Now, look, if you know somebody named Aiken, don't be like, hey, you know what that, don't, don't do that. My, my preacher said you should change your name. Don't, don't do that. Aiken, the Bible says, saw a Babylonian garment, saw gold, saw silver, and he couldn't stand it. That's Saul. Saul took advantage of what he saw, whether it was with the people or because of the people or he led the charge. The fact of the matter is the Bible says when the man of God spoke, he said, you flew upon the spoil. God knows the hearts of everybody, doesn't he? And it reveals it in scripture here to us. 
Saul's heart, along with his soldiers, allowed the deceitfulness of their own heart to cause them to lust after riches. And at times, you'll understand this, that doing the right thing is always the hardest thing to do. Look, there's, look I'm going to give, like we should everybody, the benefit of the doubt to Saul. I believe that Saul had good intentions when he start, started after the Amalekites. I believe that during the fight, he had good intentions in doing what God had for him to do. But somewhere in there, two things happened. I don't know if Agag begged to be spared. I don't know. I don't know if he saw him as a political pawn that he could use to sway other nations. I don't know. But he didn't kill King Agag. That's one. Two is once he saw how uh, how rich and how wealthy the Amalekites were, he decided to take of what they had. He decided to take that which only belonged to the Lord. And in doing so, he spared other things and disobeyed God. He was only, listen, he was only looking at what would benefit Saul. He wasn't looking at the bigger picture. That is the obedience to God. By the way, it's always the bigger picture to obey God. There's always someone else that you need to think about, and his name is God, first and foremost. I've got to think, how does God think about this? How does he think about me in this situation? The most distasteful part of the whole story is that even though he was confronted by the man of God, he stayed argumentative. Even though God had pinned him down, so to speak, he stayed stubborn and he stayed un repentant he remained steadfast i have obeyed the voice of the lord in verse 20 i have done this only when we've done it we did it for god's sake not for ours picture the scene here's the man of god samuel the prophet before king saul laying charge after charge of sin against him instead of falling to his knees and crying out to god to forgive him saul stubbornly and repeatedly argued that he was innocent that there was some there was some uh, other reason why he would do what he would do. Imagine the audacity of continuing to justify yourself before God. Imagine that. The God who knows all things. What happened to Saul? He became hard-hearted. That's what happens after disobedience. You begin to convince yourself that you're really okay. I, 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 I really am all right. Verse 24 tells us even more. Go down if you will. And Saul said unto Samuel, I've sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words because I feared the people. He felt threatened in some way, form, or fashion. That their actions and attitude toward him moved him to sin. So what's he doing? Blame shift. I did The woman that thou gavest to be with me, she did take of the fruit and I did eat. What hast thou done? Well, it's the serpent that beguiled me and I did eat. Sadly, from this point on, Saul would never be the same. Never. It's one of the saddest, most destructive lives you'll ever see in the word of God. And by the way, it's detailed. It's so sad. God removed him from the throne, took his hand of blessing off of Saul's life, which would send Saul into a tailspin of anger and repeated bad decisions that he would never, ever recover from until his death. Note that nothing good, listen, ever comes from disobeying the Lord. Lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, always brings forth death. Something always has to be destroyed because of sin. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Nothing ever good comes from disobedience. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is 
enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither, uh, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Everybody in this room who's ever studied the word of God knows that Saul is a picture of the flesh. David is a picture of the spirit of God. Saul disobeyed God. Saul had a heart for his own self. David obeyed God and had a heart after God's own heart. They're the antithesis of one another. And the lives are detailed of both. Why? So we can see what happens after disobedience and see what happens after obedience. So my challenge this morning is simple. How do we stay out of disobedience? And if we have disobeyed, how do we get back to obedience? Take your notes. and I believe the Bible gives us three protective steps that we can take to avoiding our own disobedience against God. First of all and foremost, number one, humble yourself before him. Humble yourself before God. You say, well, why do you have to start there, Pastor? Well, since you brought it up, because God truly hates pride. It's an abomination to him, according to the Bible. And pride is what keeps us from doing God's will. Let me say it again. Samuel said, listen, you flew upon the spoil. No, yeah, but it was the people. No, you did this. No, 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 you did this. What is that? It's pride. Saul is so stubborn and stiff-necked, he can't see his own sin for really, for really what it is. Pride is what keeps us from out of God's will. If we want to either stay in the will of God and on the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, if we want to stay in the will of God and on the path of righteousness, we've got to humble ourselves. Listen to what God says in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He, that is God, hath showed thee, that is us, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. He lays it out in scripture. You need to do right and if you do wrong, love mercy, but in all of it, stay humble. That's the requirement. Now, why? Well, two things, real quick. Letter A, humility is the gateway to grace. According to the Bible, the word of the living God, humility is the gateway to grace. But he giveth more grace, the Bible says. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. Here it is. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you look it wasn't saul i don't believe it was saul's intention to spare agag i do not believe that it was saul's intention to fly upon the spoil well pastor whose intention was it it was satan's intention all along because wherever god gives a clear path to the will of god satan is very capable of putting an alternate path to the sin against god and he will do it every time. Why? Because Satan, if you don't know it, hates God. And he hates anybody who represents God. And he hates anybody who stands for God. And he'll do anything, the Bible says, by any means to beguile us against the will of God. So humility then is, according to James 4, 7, how we resist the devil. Why? Because the devil knows the one person you love above everybody, even God, is you. The one person I love more than anybody, including God, in a given moment is me. And so the devil says, that just happens to be my favorite tune. And when we turn our radios to that station, we lose every time. Why? Because the devil hates God. So how do we resist him? How do we please God? Stay humble. Why? Because humility is the gateway to grace. Secondly, pride is the doorway to destruction. It's the doorway to destruction. 
pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty and before our honor is humility. Let me ask you a question. If the Holy Spirit of God wrote Proverbs eighteen twelve, do you think that he was wise enough to put 1 Samuel 15 in the book? Same God. What's he doing? Well, Proverbs eighteen twelve is describing Saul. By the way, and anybody else that decides to be lifted up with their own eyes. The fact of the matter is everything good from God comes when we are humble before him and nothing good ever comes from pride. A friend of the 26th president used to tell a story about Teddy Roosevelt at his home in in, uh, Sagamore Hill in New York. After an evening of fellowship, the two would go out on the lawn and search the uh, the skies for a certain spot of of a star-like light near the lower left-hand corner of the great square of Pegasus. You say, have you ever seen Pegasus? No. The other day, my dad, my son said, that, uh, Dad, the belt of Orion is very visible tonight. And I looked up. He goes, do you know which one that is? I said, I don't have a clue. So how, I mean, I, I just don't study the pictures. Maybe you've seen Pegasus. That's kind of too big of a picture for me to see. Maybe it's because there's so many lights. I don't know. But Teddy Roosevelt used to go out on his lawn, and he and his friend would do this, and they would study to look at the corner of that great square. And this is what the president would say Right after they would find it, he would say this, and I quote, that is the spiritual galaxy in Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than ours. Then he would look at his friend, he would grin, and he would say, now I think we're small enough. Let's go to bed. See, that's what humility is supposed to be. Humility is supposed to see the vastness in the amazing God of creation and go, oh, I marvel, God, that you're even mindful of who I am. That's what humility is. It's not thinking less of yourselves. It's not thinking of yourself at all. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 17, look at what it says in verse 17. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight... Wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? You see, that's the difference. Saul never saw the appointment as a gift from God. David said when he was anointed king, Who am I and what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Totally different. Saul lost his way because he lost his heart to pride. Number one, humble yourselves before God. Number two, if we're going to stay out of disobedience or... After disobedience, to get back in the way, number two, we've got to be honest with ourselves, with God and others. We have to. Be honest with yourself, with God and others. I heard of a boy who found a big black cigar, slipped into a back alley, and he lit it up. It didn't taste very good, but it made him feel very grown up. Until he saw his father coming. (laughs) Quickly, he put the cigar behind his back, and he tried to be casual. By the way, it's kind of interesting, the story, because if you've ever been around someone with a cigar, you smell it like three blocks away. Put the cigar behind his back, tried to act casual, desperate to divert his father's attention. Norman looked at an advertising of the circus across the street. Can I go, Dad? Please, let's go when it, when it comes to town. His, father, his, father, uh, his father's reply taught the boy a lesson after that that he never forget. He said, son, never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide a smoldering disobedience. His dad knew. See, Samuel... And God knew what Saul was doing the whole time. Samuel was saying, 
uh, uh, Saul was saying to Samuel, uh, look at the circus. Don't listen to those sheep. Look at the monument. Don't listen to those sheep. He was trying to control the narrative to get him away from what was really going on. Saul was about to lose the kingdom, but he didn't want to lose in the eyes of the people. He wanted forgiveness from Samuel and not God. I want you to look at verse 28. Samuel said unto him, the Lord rent the kingdom of Israel. I smell the cigar, and this is the result from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he's not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I've sinned yet. I've sinned, but here's what I need you to do. Don't let me lose sight in the eyes of the people. I want people to still think of me as spiritual. I need, Saul, this is going to damage my reputation, and I need to try to preserve it. Would you do me a favor? Would you, would you just forgive me, and would you honor me like nothing has happened in front of the people so that I can continue to go on? What does that mean? He was not repentant. He was regretful. He, he, wasn't, he didn't feel convicted because he had sinned. He felt regretful because he was losing his sovereignty. He was losing the position that he had in front of the people. I was, he was falling from grace. In the eyes of the people, he was slipping back. He didn't want to do that. So, so what does that leave us? We need to be honest with God, ourselves, and others. We need to be honest. What does that mean? Letter A, it means that we need to confess to God our sin, not to other people. Why? Because I can't forgive your sin. And you can't forgive my sin. We can't forgive each other's sins. When we sin, we have to acknowledge them before God. Because sin, by definition, is anything in opposition to God. So if I sin and I'm in opposition to God, what good is it for me to confess to you what I've done against God? It does zero. Right? So I need to confess. There's only one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. The person who can settle your account with God. And that's the Lord. And in order to do that, you've got to be honest with yourself and God. Why? Because he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Proverbs 28, 13. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. When we truly turn to God and honestly agree with what he sees in our life, our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for that. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he, that is Jesus, hath made us sinners acceptable in the blood. Verse 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood, comma, the forgiveness of sins, comma, according to the riches of his grace. Do I deserve forgiveness? No. Then how do I get it? By the grace of God. How do I get that? Since you brought it up, by humbling myself. I've got to humble myself before God, and then I just need to agree with him. God, you, all right. The greatest thing Saul could have done is say, Samuel, you're right. I've sinned. Help me to find forgiveness from God. And I don't care what happens to me. I don't care if I lose my throne. I'll deal with the consequences. But I don't want to have God's hand off of my life. And instead, he remained stubborn. And God said, sorry. It would be one. Look, I believe with all of my heart. It could have all been avoided if Saul would have confessed and forsaken his sin and owned it. Okay, I can't be the king. Okay, David, you're the man. I'm not the man. But at least he would have had the blessing of God while he was living like a pauper. The fact of the matter is he disregarded all of it. 
why is it important to confess our sins? That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I cannot glorify the Lord Jesus. I cannot glorify God the Father without agreeing I've sinned. I acknowledge my sin before you. My sin is ever before me, David said. Job 33 and verse 27. He looketh upon men and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right and it profited me not. He will deliver his soul from going into the pit and his life shall see the light. What an amazing passage that I should be able to go to God and God would say, I forgive you. Here's the light. What's he saying? You've been in disobedience. Here's how you get back in obedience. That's what he's saying. Here's the light. The path of the righteous shineth more and more. Why? Because they're just being honest with God. It's as if God is saying, will you please for your sake and for my glory keep short sin accounts? It's as if God knows everything, doesn't he? And he's willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that we don't walk in the dark. Keep short sin accounts. Confess your sins to God. Secondly, be ready to confess your faults to the others. Man, it would have been so good for him just to own it before God and then to say, Samuel, you're right. It would have been, um, can you just imagine the picture for Saul to go before the children of Israel and say, I have an announcement to make. I've sinned. I've allowed you to sway me, and I am not living in the righteousness of God. Bring, bring Agag to me. For Samuel to kill him. I'm sorry, for Saul to kill him instead of Samuel. Bring all of the spoil, the things that you've already decided to put in your piggy banks, and the things that you've already earmarked that this is what you're going to do, and bring it to the sacrifice of the Lord, and destroy it all. Can you imagine the powerful message that would have sent through Israel from the king? The king, if the king would have decided to confess his sin to God and to confess his fault to someone else, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Do you know what would have happened in Saul's eyes? He would have been respected even more. How do I know that? Because when you're man enough to accept the responsibility of a wrong in the eyes of someone else, they all say the same thing. Wow. Wow. What a lesson to learn. To own it. To say, I have been wrong. But I want to obey God now. Would you pray for me? The Bible says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's right after it says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. That you may be healed. Saul's life would have been much better. And the children of Israel would have been affected. I believe there are two lessons here. When Samuel confronted Saul, Saul would have done better just to say, you're right. I've sinned. And taking the consequences. Secondly, it's important to remember that along the way, we're going to sin. We're going to. It's inevitable. We're all going to make bad decisions, and it's going to lead us into the point of disobedience. We're all going to sin against one another, and in order to be right with God, we must be right with each other. Don't forsake the path of humility, listen, in making things right even with other people. The Bible says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift into the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Holy Toledo. There's so much in this lesson, in this passage of scripture that Saul could have benefited from. Honestly, to be honest with God, yourself and others, keep yourself humble before God. What does that, what, what's that do? It invites more grace into your life. So if you're 
in disobedience, you need to get out of there. Or if you're living in obedience and you're hoping to stay out of there, you have to first make sure that you humble yourself. Secondly, you've got to be honest with yourself and God and others. And then thirdly, and here's the crux, you've got to commit yourself to obey the Lord. You've got to commit yourself. You may want to write some of this down. Don't let problems, particulars, or peers determine your life choices. Don't let problems, particulars, or peers determine your life choices. See, why do you say that? Because you're not going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ like we all will one day and give an account of our life and say, well, Lord, let me just get my folder out here real quick and let me give you the reasons why I made all of these bad decisions. They're not going to be held accountable for your decision. Don't let those things determine your life choices. You say, how do you should determine your life choices? Let God be the determining factor. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Verse 24, the Bible tells us that Saul feared the people. Then later on the passage, the Holy Spirit tells us that Samuel says, honor me before the people. Sounds to me like Saul really cared a whole lot about what people thought about him. You know, let me just say this. I am so anti-social media. I hate social media. You know why? Because social media is all about what everybody else thinks about me. And I'm going to tailor everything on social media so that whenever somebody, I don't even know what to say, opens it up or whatever, and they see me, they'll think really good of me. They'll think really good about the choices that I made, where to go eat, the choices I made to go on vacation, the things that I purchased, where I'm at. What is it all about? You. It's all about you. It was all about Saul. It was all about Saul. Saul really cared about what people thought about him. The exact opposite of what Peter said. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Look, I, I see what you Pharisees and what this whole council is against. I get it. But you understand what Peter is saying in a polite way. And I, I, I would like to think that Peter is more refined now than he was before. Because remember, he spoke because he wished not what to say. <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. I would like to th- think that Peter said, I don't really care what you think we should do. I don't really care what you're saying. I'm going to obey anywhere. Anyway, I'd like to think he said that, but he did it. He said, look, what, what we should do is obey God, not you. So you can say, you can do to us. What were they doing? They were accepting the consequences of the decision to obey God. They were accepting them, knowing that they could very well die. And by the way, they all did. Okay. But they accepted the consequences in light of what? The one thing that matters the most, the one thing that pleases God the most, obedience. I will obey at any cost. Ask Daniel what that's like. Ask the three Hebrew boys what that's like. Ask David what that's like. And then ask Samson what it's not like. Ask Saul what it's like to disobey God before God in the eyes of everybody. By the way, you could ask David too. You see the difference? David owned it. Saul didn't own it. Another lesson. How does a person stay committed to the Lord? Let me give you three ways real quick. Letter A, remember the seriousness of disobedience. You see, when God is who he is, to disobey him is very serious. When God is not who he says he is, a little less than God, a little lower than the angels, oh, like us, then it's not that big of a deal. 
But the Bible says that it says the sin of idolatry and witchcraft. Stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. The Bible calls it a curse. You see that? The Bible's. So let me ask you a question. Based on those two verses, is is disobedience to God a serious thing? Absolutely. Witchcraft, idolatry, and a curse. I wonder if those three things go across our mind when we get ready to choose our own path. A curse. Let me ask you this. Do you want a curse on your life? I don't want a curse on my life. What do we want? We want the blessings of Almighty God. That's what we want. Letter B. Don't just remember the seriousness. Secondly, review the commands. Review the commands of God. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then... You know what I love about God's commands? Is they never just stay commands. There's always a blessing attached. The Bible says, For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Well, I don't want to curse. I would rather be successful. In whose eyes? God's eyes or the world's eyes? God says, look, let's review the commands. Keep them right here. Remember the seriousness, but review the commands. God is clear that success in this life is not measured in dollars and cents. It's not measured in property or opportunity. It's not measured by public status. It's measured by the standard of our obedience to his word. <coughs> Let her see. <coughs> Once you have remembered and reviewed, let her see, revive the blessings of obedience. Revive them. Joshua 1, nine. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Man, did you know that when you walk in the path of obedience, God's right there. I would rather, by the way, God is with you when you're walking in disobedience. He's just a little farther off. It's almost like the path of obedience is here where God is walking and the path of disobedience is here but God's still here and can see and, you, and knows everything that's going on. So you know he's there. He's just not as close as you've had him when you're walking with him in, in obedience. It's as, it's as if, wow, my relationship hasn't changed because my father still sees me. And he's still watching me. But he's still on the right path. Why? Because the ways of the Lord are perfect and righteous in all of his ways. And, and, and I'm over here. And I listen, and I feel all alone. Why? Because of distance. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then shall you be my particular treasure unto me above all people. Wow. <laughs> to be God's treasure on the earth, to be seen as something that is valuable to me. Deuteronomy 17. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom. This is talking about a king. Now, this is what's interesting. In Deuteronomy 17. If you know your Bible, you know that it precedes everything here. Deuteronomy 17, God is saying, okay, you're going to have a king, and I'm telling you what's required of him. Listen to this. So Saul knew this. It shall be when the king sitteth on his throne in his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law. He's going to write his own copy in a book out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all of his, all the words of his law and these statutes to do them, that his heart, listen, 
that his heart be not lifted up. Isn't it crazy? Saul had a copy of the word of God. Do you get it? He wrote it. This is what he says. Here's the intent of what he said, because it includes this, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or the left, to the end that he might prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. You see, ladies and gentlemen, obedience is not a mark of a slave. Instead, it is one of the prime qualities of leadership. God said, I'm giving the king everything that he needs, including my word, including my promise, including my presence. All he has to do is stay in the book and he'll be okay. Reviewing the commands of God and reviewing the blessings of his obedience is all it requires. And then, of course, to remember, oh, yeah, that that one third of the negative part of why I should obey is the consequences. You see, faith is voluntary submission within a person's own power. If faith then is not exercised, the true cause lies deeper than all intellectual reasons. It lies in the moral aversion of human will and in the pride of independence, which says, who's Lord of us? Why should we have to depend on Christ? So as faith is obedience and submission, so faith breeds obedience, but unbelief leads on to higher handed rebellion. God says, look, I just want you to know, I'm not giving you this just for information. I'm giving you this so that you can learn what happens after this obedience. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your words. We thank you so much for being particular with our particulars. And God, we, we recognize today that the only person that can forgive sin is you. And that's why you sent Jesus to die on the cross. If we could forgive ourselves or if a religion or a man could do it, then Lord, you never would have sent Jesus to die. You, you would never have become the mediator between us. And so we're so grateful for your sacrifice. We're so thankful, Lord, for the gift of eternal life through Christ alone. We're thankful, we're thankful that we can't earn it. We're thankful that we can't shoot high enough or make enough compensation to hit the mark. Instead, you made up the difference for us. And for that, we're grateful. And God, even after we're saved, sometimes we still miss the mark. We decide to have an aversion to faith and to go our own way. And Lord, for that, there are utter consequences when we decide to stay in disobedience. Rather, Lord, help us to learn after disobedience. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to be honest with you first and foremost. And then, Lord, help us to, Lord, simply help us to remember all that you've done for us. Help us to see that your commands are given to us so that we can follow and obey and receive the blessings for doing it. Thank you for forgiveness today. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you for the new mercies. Thank you that today, though some of us in here have come in on the wrong path, we can leave on the right one. Thank you that today, forgiveness is as ready as our confession. And so I pray, Lord, today that you would deal with our hearts. Help us to be humble before you. Help us to remain in that lane of obedience. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand together with me to your feet? I'm going to have Jenna begin to play. I don't know where your heart is. Maybe you're here, nobody looking around. 
maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you died, you don't know that you'd be in heaven. You don't know. Or maybe you do. Maybe you know, I know that I would not be in heaven. I want you to know this. God loves you. He loves you right the way you are. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know where I've been. I don't, I don't, but God already does. And he doesn't care. He loves you just the same. He loves you so much that even though you and I are sinners, he sent Jesus to die in our place to take our sin in his own body on the tree so that we could actually be dead to sin. That we could actually be with him in heaven forever. That's why the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, dying without Christ and going to hell is everlasting death with no end. Dying in Christ and going to heaven is everlasting life. And that is only possible through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but I would like to know. I'd like to know how I could have my sins forgiven, how I could go to heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Pastor, that's me. I don't know for sure. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody here like that? Anybody? All right. Christian, I don't know where your life is. I don't know what path you're on. I, I don't know decisions that you've made, but God does, and he's made provision for that decision. Maybe right now where you are in your seat, you just do business with God. Say, Lord, I, I don't want to make that mistake. You, you may not be living in disobedience. Praise the Lord and thank you for your example. To stay out of that requires effort. You understand that. Lord, will you help me? Help me to stay on. It's when we don't think we need him anymore that we fall most of the time. Maybe you are in some way, form or fashion, dealing with disobedience in your heart to God. Maybe you're afraid to admit it. You're afraid to speak up to somebody. And instead, today, why don't you just speak up to the Lord? Be honest with him. Say, God, I've not been right. I want to be right. I need to be right. Plead the blood of Christ. Confess. Forsake it. Find the mercy of God and leave here clean, light. Father, you're so good and gracious. You're slow to compassion, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. You are good above all. Lord, you are God. you're not a man that you should lie, neither the son of man that you should not make it good. What you say is true. And Lord, that means it's true that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God, for that, we're thankful. Today, I pray that you would help us to stay out of disobedience. Help us to learn. Lord, the Bible says these things which were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and hope of scriptures, or patience of the scriptures might have hope. And so that helps us today to live for the glory of God. Bless our day for your glory. And in your name, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.